Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Ultraverse Podcast, Prime of Your Life, a proud member of the Ultraverse Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. And I'm your co-host, David Gutierrez. How you doing, David? I'm good, Shag. How are you? Dude. Happy I'm, anniversary, Shag. Happy anniversary. It's, <laughs> it's our four-week anniversary, but it's also the 20-year uh, this week marks the 20-year anniversary since Marvel Comics bought Malibu Comics. It's I believe this is also the 20-year anniversary of your uh, retirement from uh, that comic store, right? Nope, wrong. Sorry. That was 96. But oh. it's, when, it's when my heart started to die a little, though, I think, 20 years ago. <laughs> when I watched all some of my favorite Ultraverse titles go away. Yeah, 20 years ago, um, I think it was a Tom Mason that put the stuff on the Ultraverse Facebook group was that today? I don't. If you want to date it, it's um, November third. Mm-hmm. So yeah, today that he, he mentioned that on the Facebook page. That's right, and it, the, it was on the Facebook page. It's on, called the Ultraverse. Just find it, folks. You got to be a member of it. It's fantastic, and led to the Paul O'Connor blog. That's what it was, uh, Longbox Graveyard, where he talked about and shared the memos and stuff from Malibu's sellout to Marvel. Wow. And, so. and uh, in keeping with Malibu and Ultraverse, boy, were they jazzed about this. It's, I mean, it was all smiles. It seemed like it was, it was just, it was met with a round of, of applause and really open arms. Yeah, seemed like it at the time. And then, and then, uh, you know, I got to be honest. Okay, oblivion. As as geeks and nerds and such as what we are, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, but well, go on. I'll just say I am. We're sure. used to having some of our favorite things ripped away from us, you know, with ladies, women. <laughs> I, I was going more for nerd culture, like you oh. know, like some people get re- <laughs> some get some people get really passionate about the fact that Firefly was canceled, or that uh. you know George Lucas's sequels to the original Star Wars trilogy didn't hold up, or that right. Star Trek has been rebooted. I mean, we're used to loss. We really are as as a fandom. I have to, yeah, I'm a Queen it, fan. I, I know okay, lots of or or DC, you know, rebooted and you know the new Fifty Two versus your old Fifty Two, uh, and you miss that. You know or what? Whatever. That is a good analogy. That is exactly what happened. Well, I would say very similar terms to what happened with Black September. I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves considering we're still talking about issue ones. <laughs> but uh, but that is very synonymous with what happened. It was a complete retooling of, of everything that you knew and loved in yeah. some cases. Yep. Almost like, like a mid-season reboot of your favorite show. Like, I'm going to plug another friend of ours, Andy Leyland, uh, like his precious Buck Rogers from season one to season two. It yeah. really doesn't make sense what, what happened in between <laughs> there. But, but then second season starts and there you go. Well, as long as Wilma Deering was there in the tight outfits, I don't think we cared that much. She was no longer in the tight outfits. She was wearing that sailor suit. It was not... Oh, well, you know what? Aaron Gray could still pull it off. But we're way off the reservation here. Anyway, the point I'm making is... We're used to loss. We're used to things being taken away from us or, or not going the way we want. Anyway, I've gotten used to it over the years, and there's not a lot of things that genuinely like piss me off. But for some reason, there are two fandoms that get under my skin. One is... <laughs> this is silly. Kiss fans. No, my, my beloved Stargate universe. Uh, I, love, ah. I love that show. I'm not even the world's biggest Stargate fan, but for some reason I really took to that show, and the fact that it got canceled and it was that good just really drives me nuts. Anyway, the other is the Ultraverse. The fact that it's not being published nowadays in some shape or form, that the characters are just being locked away, it genuinely makes me mad, which is so strange because you know I've been a Doctor Who fan for 30 years, and I don't get that. Yeah, you lost up. that one for a while. Well, and I didn't get that torqued up over that. But you had the novels. You had something. Well, you had the audio. You had the audio dramas. You, there was you had the comics. You had something to carry you along. This was just a 
dead stop. I mean, this was gone. Cold turkey. They took our smack away, I guess. Anyway, it's it's really, really upsetting. It could be worse. You could be the Black Knight or Juggernaut. It's the stars of your own book. <laughs> or, or a team book. And then you're back to this really, like, third, fourth string character that nobody talks about or thinks about ever again. It's kind of... Black Knight did... Well, he was, like, a lead character of the Avengers... I guess it was leading up to him going over the Ultraverse, wasn't it? But with the brown right. jacket at Avengers. Anyway, okay. okay. So, all right. So, folks, welcome back. <laughs> Happy <laughs> anniversary, Shan. <laughs> welcome back to the Ultraverse podcast, Prime of Your Life. As we said, we are part of the Ultraverse network. When our first episode launched, that was the beginning of the network, and we're four weeks in. And I got to say, I'm really excited about the way that the network's been going. We're getting a lot of traction from various folks on social media saying, hey, tell them so much they like the Ultraverse. We've seen a lot of activity. And now we've got, you know, two more podcasts in the pipeline besides ours that have premiered. We've seen the Nightman podcast hosted by Ben Avery. He's covered the first issue of Nightman, which was an excellent podcast. You need to check that out. It's also in the same feed if you haven't caught it yet. And Kane Dower did Wrath of Aladdin podcast, which uh, his first episode he chose to focus on solitaire. So both Ultraverse podcasting been very exciting. Over on the blog, we've seen, what have we seen so far? We've seen uh, The Strangers by Barry Reese. Woohoo! We're going to see some uh, firearm updates. Mm hmm. And by uh, one David Sopko he, and he, some sludge. I'm sorry? He has started. We, oh, he has started. Yep. Sorry. And some sludge updates by Sean Corey. Yep. So we're seeing um, blog posts almost every day over there on the network. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, I'll say this if you like uh, Hostess Pie ads, it's worth checking out the Nightman podcast. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, folks, if you haven't listened to our first episode, quite frankly, I don't know why you're back for the second. Um, but last time, we covered six of the number one issues in the Ultraverse launch. So we did, what, Prime, Hard Case, Strangers, Mantra, Mantra Exiles, and Freaks. This time out, we're going to look at the other six uh, number one issues that came out in the first six months, and that's going to be Firearm, Prototype, Solution, Nightman, Sludge, and Solitaire. The S's. I guess so. It is sort of, isn't it? In fact, for this one, I went ahead and busted out my prototype action figure, and he and I were, were hanging out doing the podcast. What does it together. do? Does it do anything special? Well, besides being totally badass looking, he actually, you know what? They didn't quite do his head quite right as far as I'm concerned. Like, because prototype looks totally cool, and it's like, it's, you know, Galoob, you tried. I'll give you effort for that. It's a. Uh, he could, they, they could have done a little. I'm being it's, critical. It's the first version of Prototype, right? Well, it's it's not the Bob Campbell prototype. It's the Jimmy Rios prototype. So I guess it's really the second prototype, but it's the first one from number one. Does that make sense? Anyway, he comes with a yeah. bunch of weapons. He comes with like missile launchers and, and bandoliers and stuff like that. So that's really where his action is. I'll tell you where the action is, Shag. Where's it's the comics. It's in the comics? And that's what we yeah. need to be talking about, don't we? Yes. Okay. All right. So we're going to start off with Firearm, aren't we? Firearm. And that's got a cover by my by one of my favorite comic creators, artists of all time, Howard Chaikin. Can't say enough about him. Turned by one James Dale Robinson. Penciled by Cully Hamner. Inked by John Lowe. Uh, so Firearm is going to be probably your biggest departure from your... 90, 95% of the Ultraverse titles. Uh, Firearm is about a, 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 a PI named Alex Swan. And uh, it, as soon as we start this book, we are immediately, as soon as you start with page one, you are into it. Uh, he, he, You get a first-person narrative. You get the uh, standard um, PI tropes with him. We start off, he, 
Alex Kwan is getting beat up. He's taking he's he's taking on some huge guy with electric hands, and he lets us know a little bit about him. But then we immediately go to this scene in a bail bondsman's bail bondsman's office where where the owner of the bail of the office complains to his assistant about Swan being late with their target, and this is some ultra named O'Malley. Swan and O'Malley then burst into the scene into the office where where Swan. Um, fights with O'Malley and he wins the fight by using his wits. He sends O'Malley into a water dispenser and it immediately shorts out his powers. Swan makes note of Swan uh, makes a point of addressing the audience, of course, and he makes note of his appearance. He says he's, that he's rough looking. Um, he's very much in the 30s, 40s PI vein again. And uh, he refuses to use a gun. He hates being called by his nickname, which is Firearm, which is the title of the book. Um, Swan is an expatriate from England, but he really doesn't miss it. Uh, he loves his Pasadena. Have you ever been to Pasadena, Shag? I've never been to Pasadena, but boy, does he love his Pasadena. He does. Um, you know, you get little things, like he reads Ultra Monthly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, we learned that uh, Swan's an ex-black ops guy from the, from that group called The Lodge, and he describes it as being John le Carre on acid. Um, he earned his nom de guerre because of his experience with a uniquely u- a unique looking gun. That's the firearm. We'll f- we'll find more on that as the book progresses, as Swan promises us. And uh, we get taken through a little trip through Swan's uh, through Swan's Pasadena of Old Town. Like all good PIs, he has his office. It's a very nondescript office. He's got no name on the door. Uh, we start to see his support group forming or his supporting cast characters. There's his landlord answering service woman with whom he flirts constantly it's very again very much um cut from the um from the chandler school of 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 pi (laughs) pi writing um we learned that swan likes the la kings and we're going to see something that you're probably going to see reflected in another book of robinson's uh swan's a book collector and uh, there's a special book waiting for him at romans romans of course is a is a pretty famous book. It's a real bookstore in Pasadena that that uh, I saw Grant Morrison oh, cool. uh, do a signing at. I met Grant Morrison myself at a bookstore too one time, but I I didn't realize it was a real bookstore he was referencing. That's neat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a bit of a side note. I I met James Robinson in Pasadena actually. Really? So yeah, yeah. Uh, years ago, Were you, um, like, I met him a couple you know, of times outside his house at night. And you know, I was windows or super nice guy. I got to compliment him on this and on on Starman. Um, but anyway, well, let's get back to this. So, <laughs> getting back to the case, uh, we learned that Claire Brody is this uh, large woman who's hired Swan to find her missing fiance, this guy named Arnie Tate. Um, Swan begins to investigate Arnie's home and workplaces, and it's there that, and it's here that we meet Swan's cop buddy Ben Travers. Swan did Travers a solid in in some earlier case by saving Travers's daughter from becoming quote unquote one of the undead. Travers is your standard easygoing detective. He wears a shirt with a Malibu emblem on it, which is which was a little strange. And uh, um, the investigation with uh, with Travers turns up nothing until Swan's car is fired upon by a squad of gun wielding thugs. So then out comes Swan to dispense some some justice firearm style, but it's too late. As uh, it's too late for them, as Swan sends an explosive charge into the truck, and everyone goes boom. A cop suddenly assi- arrives on the scene and he offers his assistance. Only guess what, Shag? It's not a real cop. No. It's a buffed-up Retilian ultra-thug. No! And then he closets Swan, injuring him. Swan drops his, uh, his firearm and begins to beat on Swan. We then learn through the, through the fight that this guy was hired by the guy who killed... Uh, this guy is the guy who killed Arnie Tate, and he was hired 
to kill him. He does a bunch of expositing. He starts to beat the crap out of Swan. And then for some reason, the reptilian guy ends up wearing an Aquaman shirt. Um, <laughs> why, why? I don't know. Uh, but then the, the guy ends up, you say the, uh, the thug ends up the temp- and notices that there's a th- ticking thing in his shirt. And it was two explosive charges dropped by Swan. He explodes. And um, Swan jokes that this, the reason that this happened was because for some reason Ultra was always wearing spandex, so he couldn't get into he, the um, the Ultra couldn't get to his to the explosive on time. Uh, we, as we leave the book, we leave, we see a Swan, Alex Swan, bleeding and battered, wondering what Arnie Tape got up to, and wondering if he'll ever get to see Gretzky play. Um, so, what'd you think? I loved it. Uh, now, before we go any further, we need to just we mentioned at the top of the show. We're going to say it again. Definitely check out the Ultraverse uh, Network blog for oh, David Sacco's thoughts on firearm. Now, what? By the way, the the blog ad- address is ultraversepodcast.com. So head out to ultraversepodcast.com and you'll find the firearm coverage there. Anyway, loved this book. This was probably this was this was definitely I would say the best written Ultraverse book out of all of them. It's not a knock against anyone else. I would just say James Total Robinson. Knock. What? Oh, it's not. Total knock. No, James Robinson just came in like a boss. And well, this is his thing. I mean, um, if did you read Firearm in in at all? Talking about. When it was when published? It was, yeah, when it was coming out. Dude, this was my jam. I'm telling you. Fi- okay. I, I, I used to read Firearm, Freaks, Nightman, Prototype, Prime, Ultra Force. Uh, I'm probably forgetting something. But those were the ones that I immediately popped to mind that I right. read every month. And the f- reason I ask is because if, did you read the, the letters page? The letters pages on, 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 in, on Firearm. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I did. I don't remember now. James Robinson would often answer the letters himself, mm-hmm. and he would always talk about what he's reading, and it was always crime fiction. In fact, James Robinson's the guy who got me into um, into James Elroy. Hmm. Huge, I'm a huge Elroy fan, and you see that, and you see elements of Dashiell Hammett, like I said, uh, Lou Archer. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, um, but uh, Raymond Chandler. It's all in here. So it's it's Robinson's a huge crime guy. So it's. I mean, it, it makes total sense that he'd be firing on all cylinders for this book. Okay. I, I love this book. As you can tell, I'm, I'm super enthused. And, uh, and, and you'll also notice, I think, in, in the book, a few sort of hints of what's to come in, in Starman. I don't want oh, yeah. to bring the discussion over to that, but it's very much almost, I, almost like a spiritual cousin. Does that make sense? It's a proto-Starman. I mean, he was fine. In some ways. Uh, well, in a lot of ways, I would say. I mean, Robinson okay. was finding his feet here. You know, sure. Alec is very has very eclectic tastes. So does Jack in Starman. You know, yeah. in here they talk about the Japanese prince. In there, it's you know whatever Jack was hunting that week. You masters, <laughs> right? Um, Alec's love of Pasadena is damn near identical to Jack's love of of Opal City. Yes, I mean it's really you can tell like, you, and it's not it's not a knock. I mean, no, because when by the time he went to go write Starman, I. I think Firearm was gone completely, and most of the Ultraverse was as well, because that was 1995 when Starman came out. Right. So, um, no, it's not a knock at Robinson. It's just, it, this is definitely a prototype, or a proto, uh, a proto-Starman book. No, I love, uh, I freaking love Firearm. It's so good. I mean, it's def- you, you nailed it on the head when you said it's like a 1940s hardball detective story. You know, I love, there's so much throwaway 
lines in here that are great. Like when he talks about how he saved Tra- Tra- Travers, is that his name? Right, Travers. Travers' daughter from becoming a werewolf or whatever. Like, total throwaway line and make you go, did I miss an issue? You know, it's like, damn, that sounds cool. What was that? You know? No, he's building backstory yeah. through just these little, little nuanced lines. And it's, it's funny, um, I don't want to talk too much about the series as it goes on because we, and we still have these other books to get to, but it, this act, this book never quite felt like it belonged in the Ultraverse either. I don't know if you ever got that feeling. And even just reading these, um, these first issues, this is such an outlier. You know what I mean? It's so removed from it. I mean, it's part of it, obviously, because he's because he's involved with ultras. But this always felt Fire Arm always felt like um, it was always sort of stretching the boundaries of the ultraverse to me. Um, I, like, I, just leave me alone on my own island, man. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, but I don't at the same time. Like, I agree, it definitely felt like an outlier. It felt different than all the other ultraverse books. But that's actually why I think it fits perfectly in the ultraverse because okay. the ultraverse was a fully formed universe. It wasn't all just. Hey, everyone should be superhero books like Hard Case and Prime. It was let's look at everything. So you had the team dynamics, you had the solo projects, you had you know a fourteen-year-old kid in Prime. You had this book, which was so different. It sort of reminds me if you looked at like say the Marvel Universe in the nineties. You know you you were they, on the sh- on the stands at the same time. They had you know fun-loving Spider-Man books. They had hard-boiled Punisher books. They had you know goofy goofy slapstick or speedball books. So they you know they they felt like they could publish all the different genres within the same universe. And I think that's kind of, I think this sort of is a nod to that. And I mean, not intentional by any means, but I mean, it's just, sure. it works that just way. Just like Slapstick. Just like Slapstick. Right, Firearm and Slapstick. They're the same book. Yeah. Anyway, so we, what we haven't talked about yet is the art by Colin Hamner. I oh, so pretty. I freaking love his artwork. I've been a big fan of his for years and years, even before this. So when I found out he was doing the book, I was very excited. He's got really great panel design in this thing. The faces are really awesome. The details in each room, like when you look at Alex Swan's house, when he's got all the books in the background, and in the foreground, he's, you mentioned he reads Ultra Monthly. Well, he also is reading Jurassic Park. He's reading a magazine called Gaijin, which is actually, um, or Gaijin, however you say it. It's actually the studio. I think that Cole Hammer was a member of at the time. Right, 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 right. Uh, Love and Rockets is down there. Silicon Mirage. I mean, it's really just lots of detail thrown in there. Very noirish art. Yeah. Very well done. I think this movie. I think this book would have been beautiful in black and white. Actually, Ooh. but yeah, I'll never know. You maybe I'll never know. Um, if you read issue two, though, you will see. I don't want to give anything away. It's a continuation of the case. And I'm only saying this because of, of our just discussion about Firearm's place in the Ultraverse. Um, he teams up with, with Hard Case. Mm-hmm. And it is the <laughs> – if you don't like Hard Case, this is the book to read. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I, um, and, and I remember later on there's the Rafferty Saga. Oh, which, which is the tour of the Ultraverse. Yeah, which is right. great. So, um, Okay. All right. So I got, that's Firearm for well, me. I loved it. I loved it. We got a couple more things to say. At least I do. All right. So Alex Swan, not the most handsome of, of heroes. He looks like Bruce Willis, supposedly. What do you mean supposedly? He is. He is He is dead. And this was intentional. They admitted this on the letters page. He yeah, is, he's based on... Go ahead. No, he's based on Bruce Willis from The Last Boy Scout. Exactly right. Even the little, you know, the little scar in the eyebrow. I mean, he is dead on Bruce Willis from The Last Boy Scout. There is no question about it. And if you've never noticed that before, now you're not going to be able to unnotice that. Uh, the cover by Howard Chaykin. I We're going to fight, aren't we? We are going to fight. I love me some Howard Chaykin. I just don't feel like the cover 
captures. I mean, it looks like American flag on the cover. You know, it's it. I feel he's like he's got his face. Is I mean, he's got his shaking face. Right, but it just. I don't feel like it's. I don't know. I, I don't Alex know. Swan. If I had known everything I knew about the book, I don't know. I would have picked it up just looking at the cover. I don't know. So I picked it up because of the cover. See, I didn't. So, um, what else? Oh, okay. I'm baking with chicken for some for some good coverage of this book, by the way, from someone who's a lot smarter than us. Listen to the Quarter wow. Bin podcast. <laughs> it's part of the uh, Relatively Geeky Network. Professor yeah. Alan Middleton. Uh, I I dared him to read Firearm Number One for his show, and he did, and he gave it a fairly favorable review. So, is cool. he a real professor? Or is he a doctor? Like Doctor Phil's a doctor? No, he's a genuine. No, he's a professor. He teaches at college. He teaches. Uh, I teach at college. Shag, come on. Do you really? No. Oh, okay. No, he really does. He's like for realsies and everything. <laughs> like, uh, he's, he's like uh, economics. He and sounds stuff. learned. No, he teaches but I'm like not econ- economics and stuff. He's, oh. he, he comes with the smarts and everything. Economics. So. All right. Anyway. Uh, all right. So 28 pages of story. Judging it by, uh, by issue number one by itself, would you pick it up again? Um, yes, and I, yes, did. Yeah, same here. <laughs> yes, I would have, and yes, I did. <laughs> if you love this book, you can find the complete run. Pretty, pretty easily, I think, 1 through 18. Um, the Zero Issue, which Shag and I talked about in, ish, in episode one, so if you want to know about it, listen to that. Um, a little harder to find because of the format of it, especially. And then uh, if you read Project Fire, no, Codename Firearm, mm-hmm. there's a backup story with Alex Wan in it. The first four parts are by James Robinson, and the second two parts, I'm blanking on the writer, but it's not Robinson. Yeah, I got nothing. I, I, and that's the last time we see him, I pretty much. I remember they did that, but I can't even remember the first thing about those backups, which is sad. So, All right. Uh, Next up, prototype. Prototype. And I have my prototype action figure here to help me get through this. So, All right. Your creators on this are Tom Mason and Len Strzewski as the writers. David Ammerman? Ammerman. 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 And James Pascoe as your pencilers, inkers, and covers artists. Character designed by David Ammerman. All right, so the story opens, and the opening scene is you're seeing pro- the original prototype, who you'll learn more about in a minute. You know, the original prototype versus what was called Prototype 2000. He was the future version of the book, or of the armored suit of, of what Prototype would eventually become. And they're having an exhibition, sort of like a, a demonstration for what Prototype 2000 was capable of doing. Well, during this exhibition, Prototype 2000 just tears into the original prototype. And the man inside the suit, by the way, is, his name is Bob Campbell. And Bob Campbell gets dismembered. He actually loses an arm. It's pretty horrible. It, is hor- it was very graphic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a huge two-page splash page, and the man loses his arm. It's pretty, uh, woof. But um, then Bob wakes up. Turns out he's having a dream. Uh, it's not that that scene was a dream. It's just that he was remembering it in his dreams. It actually happened quite a while ago. So he gets up. He's Bob's a little bit of an older guy, probably in his late 30s, early 40s, I would say. He, he's got a cat named Thelma and a mechanical arm named Louise. Gotta love the 90s. Puts on his mechanical arm, to, which has replaced his, uh, his, uh, his, what happened, the one that got cut off. And, uh, then later on across town, we are introduced to this raging, huge, enormous green skinned monster who's sort of, sort of like the Hulkish. Imagine the Hulk. Except he's got a long white hair, and he's got, like, dark green spots on himself, and he's got this headgear on that, can, which has a, a, a technological eyepiece. And he's, a, he's more intelligent than the Hulk. And, but he's still ultra-violent. Anyway, he is called Glare. 
and he is searching for Ultratech, and he is angry as hell, and he's using his eyepiece to blind people. Hence the name. Glaring Glare. at them. He's he's glaring at them. Exactly right. Quick Me- interjection, Shag. Did, maybe that, did, we should I, have, did I interject during any of your fire? Maybe we should have a drinking game where every time we see an ultra with a ponytail, <laughs> we take a shot. I don't know that he had a ponytail. Actually, he had a ponytail. They even tried. They even. Um, it's it's mentioned actually. Okay. All right. All right. So um, then uh, we switch to an ultra ultra tech shareholders meeting. And we're introduced to Stanley Leland, a very important character for the series. Uh, and he sort of explains some of the history of the prototype character to us, the reader, but also to the shareholders, essentially explaining that prototype was a corporate symbol. It represented the company of Ultratech and also protected its interests. Bob Campbell, they don't say this during the presentation, but we find this out, Bob Campbell was that prototype in the sort of uh, Mark I armor. And it uh, turns out Bob's actually in the audience. And he starts to question Stanley from the podium, asking why he was fired. He's saying it's age discrimination. And uh, you get the idea that Bob was probably fired after the accident and when his arm got cut off. And he was fired uh, for whatever reason that they, they wanted to do that. But it's, it's been a very bad scenario for Bob all the way around. During the same shareholders meeting, they unveiled the new prototype armor, which is what we what the Ultraverse fans become, uh, learn to know as the, as the prototype armor, as opposed to the prototype 2000 or the original prototype armor. This, this is the prototype armor we all know. Blue and gold, very sleek, very cool looking, black sort of mask. Um, so the new prototype shows up, very sleek, and, and the guy driving the new armor is very cocky. We find out his name is Jimmy, I say Ryu's. I don't know. How, do you, how would you say that? Um, Ruiz. Right, that's not going to happen. Um, you would probably pronounce it as Ruiz. Ruiz? Okay. Yeah. Jimmy Ruiz, and a very young guy, probably like 19 years old, and he's inside the prototype armor. He's got bionic implants, so the armor's actually plugged into him, and due to those implants, he's suffering from horrible, horrible headaches. And Ultratech is on the side supplying him with like questionable painkillers to help him get through it. And all he wants to do is party. So... The shareholders meeting is attacked by Glare, the the green rage monster we talked about earlier. He's smashing the place up from the outside. We see him take a bunch of bullets to the head and immediately heals. This guy's tough. Prototype flies into action. <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy gets going. The new prototype is struggling to get the upper hand on Glare, and the kid really pushes himself and blasts Glare really hard. Then, while Glare's laying on the ground, some ghostly figure sort of approaches Glare, and only the readers can see this. No one else can see this. This ghostly figure approaches Glare. Glare and the ghostly figure have a brief conversation. They seem to know each other, and then Glare dies. It it appears to the reader that the, the ghostly figure is probably Marjorie, who is Stanley Leland's assistant. But anyway, uh, at the very end, the crowd is blaming Prototype for the death of Glare, and they're like sort of turning on him, being like, oh, he murdered that guy, even though the guy was just tearing the place up. And that's how the story ends. Well, at least the first issue ends. What did you think? Uh... It it wasn't my cup of tea, to be honest. Okay. Um, Before you go any I further, think, I'll, I'll give my counterpoint just so people know. I love this book. You love pro- you love Men in Armor. I do love Men in Armor. I don't know why. Uh, Iron Man, Steel, those kind of characters. I just dig that. So anyway, you, Shaq. Not so much Shaq, but you go ahead and say all the things that are wrong, and then I'll follow up and correct you. Um, I liked it. I had a hard time with the art sometimes, you know. Um, <laughs> there was that one panel 
where uh, Bob Campbell is waking up and he's on all fours and his cat is behind him in a very strange position. Okay. Um, and then there are just weird anatomy things that kind of threw me off. And, uh, for example, when Bob is at the press conference and he's hauled off by these two guards, mm-hmm. Bob is, like, all of a sudden, like, four feet tall. And the guards <laughs> are, like, eight feet tall. And um, it, it, there's it, – I don't know. There's just it, – it started off okay, and it kind of, I think, felt maybe it was rushed or something. It just – the art didn't, didn't really do it for me. Um, I, will, I will agree with you to some extent on that. Um, I feel like the art in the first half of the book – is much more impressive than the art in the second half of the book, and it's, it's and to be perfectly honest, like corporate shenanigans never interest me. It as as just a story point. Do you know really? what I mean? Really? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I eat that sh- that stuff up with a spoon, man. It's like uh, I've been a, I've been a corporate shill for years, though. It's because so. you're the man. No, because, you, know, you know, like like a, like when episode one started, and it said taxation. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> It's, it's like, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you here. Like, Well, Firearm, as I said, was the best written book. This is the book that was probably the most invested in. I can't quite put it on my put my finger on it other than it's the Iron Man type thing. I just I love the the suit and armor, the struggle. One of the aspects I really loved about this book is that Bob Campbell is a reoccurring character, and he's a protagonist in the story. Because yeah, whose book is it? Is it Campbell's or um, it's both? Or, that's the beauty of it. It's both of theirs. It's both Jimmy's, the young nineteen-year-old kid in the prototype armor that we all know, that you know from the ads. But it's also Bob Campbell's, who's this guy who's struggling. And so, kind of what you see is, um, it's like Bob Campbell is looking to start over. He's looking for a fresh start, and he's looking to be a hero. And that's the story you're following there. Whereas Jimmy Reuse, well, how do you say? How am I supposed to say? Just call him Jimmy. Jimmy. Right. Jimmy is spiraling <laughs> out of control. He's like a he's like a child actor from Different Strokes. I mean, things are not going to. Oh my god! You're going to hold up a you're going to hold up a video store. Right, quite possibly. Now, I will give you Glare. We we picked a little bit on Glare's ponytail and stuff. He's not my favorite villain. I'm not going to lie. He does look kind of silly, and not the, the scariest name either. And his gimmick's a little strange, but. I, I kind of got chicken this. egg. What's that? Chicken egg. Did you have that power? Person, <laughs> did you get the powered monocle and then call yourself Glare? I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, I got the sense that like they knew he was going to die. He he was born born to die. You know, for this yeah. for this issue. So maybe there wasn't a lot of investment in the character there. You know. So. By the way, I did like how Bob Campbell's finger, I believe, warmed up his coffee. It did. That was Louise doing that. His mechanical arm. Thelma doing something else when Bob Campbell's waking up. You, need, you need to get off that. You need to get off. You're just you're sick. You're sick. Go to the book. Go to the book. I, I looked. I looked since you've been talking. And, you're, yeah. and I'm, am I wrong? The cat's sleeping at the foot of the bed, and he woke up just in a, in a horrible... So the man lost his arm. He might have lost something else that night. Oh, you were such an ass. <laughs> All right. So, um... um no, I just, uh... I, but you know what? I liked Prototype in Ultravert. I mean, Ultra Force. I read. I never really read this book on its own. Okay. But I did read the character in Ultra Force. All right. Well, so. Jimmy was. Wait, it wasn't. Um. Oh, geez. You know what? Gosh, it's been so long. That's since. when he gets the other the other armor later when he's with the. Uh, in the Marvel yeah. version of Ultra Force, I think it's actually Bob Campbell in there too. Like I don't it, think I don't think I don't think Jimmy was ever armor. around in the in the relaunch. I'll have to, oh, geez. 
wow, this just shows how much I can't remember what happens. Oh, it's like Iron Man. Is it Rhodey? Is it yeah, is it yeah. uh, other guy whose name I'm forgetting? Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Yeah, kind of that guy. He's, he's like a thing. I but, was, you know what? Hmm. Brief, brief sidebar. I was always a Rhodey. I when I came into Iron Man, it was Rhodey. So I was always a Rhodey fan. Dude, so I always come at superhero titles at the wrong time. Like my first Avengers title, like I was collecting on a regular basis. Who is this Doctor Druid, and why do I love him? No, it was, it was the Brown Jacket at Avengers. Justice League. Oh. When did I start reading the Justice League? Justice League Detroit. Um, you know, could have been worse. Could have been extreme. <laughs> it's true. Or that weird Wonder Woman satellite era. Do you remember that? Oh, that was just a weird team. And Blue Devil was on the team, and it was so terrible. Anyway, okay. So I think tw- you answered your own question with that one. Twenty-four pages of story. Judging issue number one by itself, would you come back? You know what? Because I think you sold me a little bit on the Campbell thing. Mm-hmm. Because soup is good food, I would come back. <laughs> I uh, I did come back. I definitely would come back. And I'm glad I came back so I could see the later issues where you bump into some of the other villains down the road. You get some Jerome K. Moore covers. Um, oh, those are beautiful. Yeah, they are. And uh, I want to say, I think the cool villain, I think his name's Arena? Is he the is he the sam, uh, sam, yeah, samurai like the samurai looking dude? dude is yes. he is so cool. So, I love that. I I do remember a cover of Arena attacking Prototype or leaping at him or something. It looked amazing. It, it, well, his look is great, but but him yeah. in the story is so cool too. Like there's this whole thing about him and Bob Campbell fighting, and then Jimmy has to now take it because of Jimmy's Prototype. Arena's coming after him, and I think I've got his name right. I think it's Arena. Anyway, so good. All right, Ultra Tech, right? Ultra Tech, yeah. So, yeah. so we have Ultra Tech. We have um, JB Hunts, oh. right? Uh, that's the dude from Strangers, right? Right. He's got a company. He and makes think, the sex. And then, to- he makes the sex robots. Right, yeah. and then uh, and then there's a mysterious Aladdin. So yep. the the world is slowly building here for the or the universe, I should say, is slowly building out. Man, I would love to read those story bibles. Where is too. this set? What? Oh, you know uh, the prototype was it was in California somewhere. Pretty it sure. was. Okay. Pretty sure. Yeah. All right. So next up, what's next, Shag? You're up, man. Solution. You got a problem? Guess what I got? <laughs> you got a solution? I do. All right. I do solution. It's a team book. Um, if you look at the cover, by um, well, let's start with the uh, with with the personnel behind the book. So it is. Written by James, am I mispronouncing Hudnell? Is that right? That's what I do. Hudnell. Um, the cover and the penciling is done by Derek Robertson. Uh, it's inked mm-hmm. by John Lowe, and the character design is by Huang Gwen. I'm probably totally marring that, but anyway. So it's 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 a team book. The cover is a is a as I said is by uh, is by Derek Robertson, and it is an action shot of the team running at the reader. Love we open up. Me some Derek Robertson. It is good, and it's really early, and you can. It's amazing that you can kind of see where it's going to go for him. Mm. But uh, anyway, uh, we as we we open up, and we are in the freezing world of Siberia, <laughs> and we see this this poor this poor Siberian soldier on patrol, and he is killed. A little wet, wet behind the ears guy, and he's just killed by this assassin called Meat Hook. Who looks a lot like the guy on the cover, but isn't. A lot like? You mean just like? Or just like. Well, I didn't want it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you kept so anyway. me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So anyway, <laughs> uh, it turns out that there's this base there that's being besieged by the likes of Death Dance, who's this uh, 
beautiful looking assassin blonde girl who um gets away uh, somehow doesn't freeze to death in Siberia wearing only uh, a red a red uh, a red bathing suit <laughs> um <laughs> There's another guy named Gate who can create these weird kind of breaches, and this little kid named and this little kid, this teenager named Book, who gets his powers from a book, and it turns out that they're there to steal some nukes to sell for tons of cash. They're fifty nukes, and they're going to sell them for about I think I believe it was a million a, or ten million a, a nuke. It turns out this is their mo, as we find out as we're next taken to a scene where a member of the KGB and this mysterious guy named Mister Angle, who's a member of Aladdin, are discussing. Um, the four, the four people who, who stole it. Um, that's Death Dance, Gate, uh, Outrage, who's the big gray dude, and then Book. And uh, turns out Aladdin can help, but you know who can shag? Maybe who can? If help? you can afford them, if you can find them, <laughs> the solution can. So then we're taken to Hong Kong, where the best name ever, the Triad, the Triad uh, Dragon Fang Triad, and their leader. Um, I'm just going to call him X because it's X-H-E-N-G and I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, not, he's hiring not, a bunch of assassins. Huh? Not, not the last time we'll see the Dragon Fang either. That's true. That's true. Um, he's hiring some assassins to protect their smack business, Shag. They got to they protect the spike. So it's three guys, Black Tiger, Incoming, and Bloodshed. But guess who's coming to bust it up? The solution. No way. You got your guy in a, in a, in a headband named Dropkick, and he takes out the Black Tiger. This guy named Incoming takes out the guy, a guy named Outrage, who looks a lot like Meat Hook. A lot? Exactly like Meat Hook. Um, Black Tiger takes on this strange gray woman with pointy ears and white hair named Ira, and that's where we learn that she's not human, and she's a magic user. The leader of the Dragon Fang, I'm calling him again X, tries to call in for reinforcements, but his phone is hacked by Leela Cho, and she he uh, he, he immediately recognizes her. Rises, uh, excuse me, he immediately recognizes her. It turns out she runs the solution, and she wears a blue headband. Her name, her code name is Tech. X knows her, and he and because he knows her, he should also understand why his businesses are being targeted personally by her. She wants her company back, quote unquote, with interest, and she threatens X to carry on the message. To his bosses, and they'd better release the whole under company stock or else. Dun 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 dun. As it turns out, the solution it doesn't exist on paper, Shag. It is a it is the blackest ops you can get. They live in a Buddhist temple on a small Chinese island. But guess what? It's shower time. <laughs> <laughs> time to unwind. Layla Cho, as we learn, is super sexy yes, and she has is. wet wear in her head. And she can mentally interface with satellites all around the globe. And guess what? They got a job. They're hired to take down some ultras. Which ultras? The ones from the beginning of the book. Um, so Ira, also known as Shadow Mage, she's the gray girl with the pointy ears and the white hair. Uh, she mystically spies upon a man who isn't a man after all. And he's much older than he appears. He's handing money over to the killers from the beginning of the book. Turns out they're going to be called the Quattro. You don't learn this in this book. You'll learn this later, but the four. And uh, then he... F- then he senses a solution is after him. Shadow Mage figures out that she's been sensed by him, and she figures out that trouble is coming, and that's the end of the book. Dun, 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 dun. So a couple – well, what are your thoughts, Shag? We'll start with you. Um, I didn't connect with this comic as well as I did others. Really? Uh, okay. 
It's it's okay. First of all, it's got lots of story. Okay, it really does. You got the whole Russian warhead. There's a lot going on. <laughs> you got the Fang drug scene that sets up the protagonist. You got the domestic scene at the end where you get to know the characters. A lot of that. I dig the idea that there's a mercenary team that Aladdin farms peep jobs out to. But out of all the books we've read and will read for these two episodes, uh, and I am including Exiles on this one, uh, this one is definitely the most '90s of all of them. I mean, this because is, of the headbands and the and the skull caps. This is a pure formula team. You've got the sexy female Asian chick. You've got the martial arts guy. That is very '90s. Remember, the exotic beauty yeah. wasn't an Asian until the '90s. Right. So you get the, you get the sexy Psylocke. Asian book. You get the uh, lady. You get the martial arts guy. You've got the magic alien elf girl. And you've got the savage bruiser. You know the villains rounded out round out the '90s with the swords and the big guns. The only thing missing is like an android and a telepath. You know, and then you'd you'd have the whole package. That's on TNT and T. That's on. So, um, what what did you think? You know, I agree with you to some extent, but this was a book I always followed and picked up. Really, I was very, yeah, and uh, the art. This book is 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 has the good fortune of first of all being originally penciled by Derek Robertson, yes. and then later penciled by um, is it Jan? No, uh, crap, I'm drawing a blank. But it it be, it's it continues its beauty. Okay. Um, it no, it is very uh, it is very much of its time, but that's kind of what I like about it. Okay. Um, and I don't mean that in, in an ironic sort of pleasure or anything. I just uh, – sometimes you just want to turn your brain off and just have a nice B-movie feel. Sure. And I would say this this this, this very much um, fulfills that need. I can understand why anybody wouldn't like it. I totally get it. But, uh, but I did. And I love Derek Robertson. Well, I love Derek Robertson too. I mean I'm a huge fan of his going back to – even before this when um, – New Warriors. Do you remember that book? Yes, he, I do remember. Do you remember New him Wars. on New Warriors? Did he? I No, I didn't know he did that. Oh, yeah. He did New Warriors before he did the Ultraverse. And so I was I, I was a huge New Warriors fan about this time and it was all because of him. I was like, oh my gosh, this art is amazing. You know, I was so excited and it just blew me away and got into the New Warriors big time. And then when he popped up over here in the Ultraverse, I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, so I, I obviously he went to Nightman, and that's where I, I really. Well, he doesn't him. stick on that book. He doesn't, but that's where I, you know, fell in love with his work there. Or at least part of the Ultraverse. I did not. I didn't. Tra- you know, I didn't read Solution at the time it came out. Uh, in fact, the first time I ever read it was for this show. His artwork, you know, it's it's interesting to see how he's growing. Like he's got a lot of interesting panel design in here. It's, right. it, artistically, it's really well done. But again, we talked about the '90s tropes. There's a lot of uh, the shower scene, the costumes, you know, Shadow Mage's hair and the her cover look. is very '90s. I, They're I, coming running at you. Yeah. She's shooting at you. You know, uh, the Verk or Outrage guy smoking cigars indoors. I mean, those are great '90s tropes. I love it. You miss that. You miss the days you can smoke inside. Yeah. So you miss the harassment times, right? When it was okay to uh, to pinch a lady's bottom at work. Oh, gee, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going down your trap. Anyway, um, so he's old school. He's not racist, guys. <laughs> so I will tell you, I did sneak a peek ahead. I did read issue two, and I enjoyed issue two much more than I enjoyed issue one. I felt like it was a more solid sort of read front to back. Yeah. So I can see where this series definitely had potential. I could see why people dig it and still love it. Um, I just didn't get that vibe from number one. So if I had to judge it on number one alone, you know, 28 pages of story, if I had to judge number one and alone, 
I probably wouldn't have picked it up because I the first two I, I've read this thing a lot now. I've read it the first two times I read it, I just didn't engage with it. The third time I yeah. started to, still wasn't huge on it. Other than the Robinson art, which I do love, um, but again, second issue definitely was stronger. That would have kept me in. I think what happens is it's really just cruising along. It just goes from you know action scene to action scene to action scene. There's only that really brief moment where Angle and the KGB guy exchange information. And then you're immediately into the next action scene, and then you just hit a huge dead stop when it, you know, for the shower, and and the, um, and you know what I mean. <laughs> but, you, but you gotta have it. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, it just it just comes to an abrupt, abrupt halt, and then all of a sudden it's oh plot. I did kind of. I pick up and, and, and plot and cliffhanger, so I can yeah. It the pacing is not the greatest on this book. Well, the cliffhanger wasn't much of a cliffhanger. It really wasn't. It was kind of like that's that's really where it ends. You know, <laughs> I was like, did I miss a page? But I actually like the domestic scenes, but... Of course, of course. No, not not just the shower scene, although that was nice. Cause it that is page Garrett is Robertson. available for sale. Oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I like sort of like, you know, she says, I'm going to cook for everybody. I'm like, that's cool. What superhero team does, does that? You know, no team leader cooks for their, their people. That's awesome. So, like, I really kind of dug that sort of feel. Um, but again, I thought that was racist. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> You're gonna get. We're getting hate mail, and folks, remember, address it to David Gutierrez. Okay, that's right. Shag is being clean and above board here. Thank you very much. But um, all right. Well, so that's a solution. Okay. Next up, the Nightman number. You got one. it easy here, my friend. I do have it easy here. You know why, folks? Because I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do, folks. I, I am going to give a very high-level recap of the issue. But instead, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to here on the Ultraverse Network podcast. I want you to go back an episode or two to the Nightman podcast, episode one, by our good buddy Ben Avery. Because he covers this whole issue, Nightman number one, back to front in an amazing amount of detail and very, very insightful coverage. I mean, I was listening to it going, dude, I totally didn't even pick up on those themes. I was like, Wow. You know, it, the book's a lot deeper than I gave it credit for the first time I read, too. So, But I'm going to give just a real high-level recap, and then we'll share our thoughts. We will do that. We'll talk through that. But well, we'll, t- we'll tell Ben Avery what we thought of this book. Right. <laughs> but uh, but definitely check out his podcast, folks. Okay. So creators are Steve Englehart. You've got art, again, by Derek Robertson. Hot damn. And inking by Andrew Papoy. Then you've got uh, character design by Derek Robertson. So here's your super quick version of the story, and you're going to go, but, but, but. I know I'm skipping a lot. I know I'm just sort of melting it down, but just go with me. So, Johnny Domino, <laughs> greatest name ever. He's a super cool jazz saxophonist in San Francisco. <laughs> and that's the last time you'll ever hear that sentence. <laughs> and uh, he was caught up in the same jumpstart event as the Strangers, and he barely survived uh, this whole thing in a car accident. Now he's up and he's around. He finds himself finds out that during the jumpstart incident and uh, having some metal wedged in his head, he has gained the power to telepathically hear other people's thoughts. But David, not just any thoughts. What, what kind of thoughts? Only evil thoughts. So he overhears a man who's planning to kill a woman. So he uh, he makes plans to stop the evil man. Try you know follows him, finds out that he's planning to murder a waitress. So to prepare himself, he builds sort of a vigilante, a vigilante identity for himself. He's got like a black and blue costume. He's got special lenses in his mask. He's got weapons. He's got armor. He's, he's very sort of Batman-like. 
And uh, eventually you get to a big confrontation at the end. Nightman sadly fails to save the woman and battles the, the, the killer who is revealed to be called Death Mask. Death, Max, Death Mask is this sick freak who cuts off people's faces, wears them, and then assumes their identity. Very nasty stuff. There's it is aw- grosso. Yeah. There's, there's an awesome battle, though, at the end, over water involving speedboats and sharks. Because, you know, that's just that's just golden right there. And uh, unbeknownst to our hero, Death Mask actually survives the battle, and our hero officially adopts the identity of Nightman. Again, that was your lightning round version, folks. So what do you think, David? I love the homemade aspect of Nightman. And I really didn't appreciate it until probably I read it the second round um i didn't read nightman initially and i'll tell you why i'm a bit of a snob mm-hmm. because he had the long crazy hair i thought no i'm not gonna do this what gonna- yeah yeah no i'm kidding i didn't what? read that i forgot why i didn't read nightman because you're an idiot i didn't know i i honestly i didn't pick it up until maybe the fifth or sixth issue when um i think kyle or maybe even later when kyle hotz was doing it Hotz. Okay. yeah um, so I didn't really you like, you see like, these. You like perms, huh? Yeah, I really didn't see this this, this issue. But um, no, I like it. I like it. I, I I do find it stretches the realm of credibility that Johnny Domino is famous for being a saxophone player. Unless this is a world <laughs> where uh, where uh, you're you know there's ultra jazz. Um, he um, Michael Bolt. Who's the who, who? Kenny G? Kenny G. He is he. He's actually president in this universe. <laughs> he must be because um, well, you know, Bill Clinton was a was a saxophone. There you go, president. Yeah. And this is not coming from a place of ignorance. I played saxophone from grades six through eight. I played it badly, and I can tell you, no girl knew who I was because I played saxophone. <laughs> well, you played it badly. He plays it really well. I guess he had five CDs, right, or something. Well, she she said she had all his albums, which was crazy. That <laughs> he has was... all his albums. <laughs> yeah, his free for, free form improv in the dark. Okay, um, hold on a minute. I just want to make sure, perfect, because we're we're being really sarcastic, like jerks at this point. But I want to make sure everyone knows, dude. I love this book. I am it is a great so book. in on this book. So I'm I'm just hanging on this one point. Okay. With that, that said, let's have some fun. Okay, go ahead. That a saxophonist is. Freaking famous, and and you know what I mean. He's got like a he's got a following. You might know me. I'm Johnny Domino. He actually says something like that. You might know me. I'm Johnny Domino. Maybe he is supposed to be Kenny G. Maybe I guess. I guess. You know who he is? You know who he is? He's that guy from Lost Boys. Remember? Um, remember Lost Boys? And there's that yeah. dude playing the saxophone is all like ripped on the Muscle Beach. Or did you, did you ever see Saint Saint Elmo's, Saint Elmo's Fire? Well, I was grew up in the '90s, so of course I did. Or, yeah, Rob, I grew up in the Rob, '80s. I mean, so of course I did. I yeah, had to buy Rob the Lowe was the coolest guy because he played sax. And do you remember this? I love this bit. At the end of the Saint Elmo's Fire, he boards a bus and he's got his sax fully assembled, and he wears it like a guitar, kind of just strapped to his back, just ready in case he needs to start blowing some horn right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's. But no, I, I, I. All kidding aside, I did like the book. It starts off really. F- like uh, like it's just Johnny exposition. You know, everyone's just like, and this is what happened, and this is what happened. I'm Johnny Domino. I had this. I had this accident. Um, the doctor, the, the doctor who discharges Johnny. Mm-hmm. My God, this guy, he, he's like a Law and Order episode all of a sudden. You know, <laughs> 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 but 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 you you know you you can you 
no one's ever survived a, a, an accident like this. It's it's just amazing how much exposition is, it, uh, Engelhart gets out in those first three issues. But um, first three issues, first three pages. But then after that, it's just smooth sailing, mm-hmm. and it, it's a great read. I'm, I mean, I'm really disgusted by Death Mask. Don't get me wrong. Nasty. <laughs> I think she, Nasty. Um, there's something that happened. I'm not going to give it away, especially because Ben does it better than I can. But there's a scene at the end, right before the fight. On there, There's a scene at the beach that's just... Yes. Freak, it's, it's a panel. It's freaking gross. It's, na- it's Nightmare Fuel. Huh? It's Nightmare Fuel. Yeah. And I remember when... Um, yeah, I, I remember when when they did something similar to this with uh, with Batman recently, the New Fifty Two. Right. Well, I already I, thought, I already said what Deathmask does. I mean, I said it in my in my thing. So I mean, it's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, you got to wonder if uh, Scott Snyder was a big you know fan of Nightman and wanted the Joker to do something similar. It's just freaking gross. Um, but uh, but I, I love that Nightman can hear the uh, e- you know he can only hear evil thoughts. So San Francisco, good good city for him. If he was in Washington D.C. or something, he he he, he wouldn't know where to go. Right, he'd, he'd but, have too many things to do. His state or in your, would be or, too or full. in your state of Florida, he'd probably be crippled. Oh jeez. <laughs> but um, hey, we've got. You no, know, I liked it at the time of this recording. By the way, we have an election tomorrow, so things could get crazy between the time we record this and it airs. <laughs> There'll be some rioting, I'm sure, in Florida. But no, big I big thumbs up for me, and I would say check out Ben's podcast again to get the full. Skinny on, on the Nightman, on Johnny Domino, who plays the saxophone. I'm calling it the saxophone. The saxophone. Nice, nice. Well, I uh, I got so excited while you were talking about the solution. I, I put my microphone on mute and I opened the package to my Nightman action figure. So he's out now too. He was helping me during the recap, and he looks totally boss. By the way, we're gonna do an episode on action figures. I think, and it's okay. I don't have any, but <laughs> <laughs> get busy on that. All right. <laughs> They're not that expensive. All in all, I love this book. Great sort of book. Again, it's it's got that sort of Batman vigilante feel, even though he's got that one superpower of hearing evil. It's uh, uh, You've talked about this. Ben talks about it. The whole building, homemade superhero building it, and as, as the series progresses, he continues to be learning and adapting more, sort of a year one sort of thing. It's a great book. Um, it's sort of a bit of a tragedy that it didn't get to keep going. Now, right. It takes a weird turn. I, mean, I don't want to give anything away, especially because Ben's covering it for the next, I, I guess, two two and a half years, however long Nightman has in terms of his publishing history. Um, but um, it does take some very strange turns. It has it. This book um, continues to have great art. So after Derek Robinson, you get uh, Gene Haw on it for quite some time, and I I don't know. I I'm a huge Gene Haw fan, and then you get uh, Kyle Hotz, and then. Um, the book kind of lost me when it when it went over to the Marvel side, and he started crossing over with everybody. Well, there's two of them for a while, right? right. Well, give it away, but yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll stop. Twenty year old spoiler. Sorry. <laughs> well, another bit of a spoiler for something Ben's going to talk about in his next episode is I was reading from Valiant prior to this. I was reading Shadow Man, so I picked up Nightman. I'm like, huh? So we'll, I'll leave. I'll just leave it at that, and let Ben talk about that more next. I'll time. say this. Yeah, Enkelhart clearly doesn't know music. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> He's got no idea what's going on in the music scene. <laughs> All right, folks. So we've we've had a lot of fun with it here, but to, let's let's wrap it up. Twenty eight pages of story in Nightmare Number One. Judging issue by number one. Uh, yes. You'd come back. I would come back. Would you come back? I, I not only would I come back, I did come back, and I would say this is probably one of the strongest books in the Ultraverse line. Agreed. So, really, really dug it. 
All right. All right. Um, Speaking of strong. Oh, you know what else is worth saying? There was a six-page backup of Rune in this thing, too. Oh, that's right. Which really was more like a three-page backup, but anyway. (laughs) All right. So, Sludge, this is me. Okay. Here we go. Sludge. Number one. Now, again, be sure to check out the Ultraverse Network blog uh, for coverage of Sludge by Ultrafan Sean Corey. That's going to be coming your way soon. Creator Steve Gerber. Uh, art by Aaron Lepresti. Uh, in- that's pencils. Inks by Gary Martin. Interior colors by Violet Hughes. I love that name. Character design by Kevin Nolan. Yes. I had no idea. Had no idea. So, the story opens in the sewers of New York, which, by the way, take note of that, not California, New York. Uh, so, we're in New York, and we're in, we see the shadowy muck monster observing a cluster of homeless folks. The monster overhears a radio talk show host by the name of Chase Naylor. He's talking about this mysterious disappearance of New York Police Department Detective Sergeant. That's a whole lot of titles there. A cop. <laughs> a cop. A cop named Frank Hogue. Uh, this right-wing talk show host continues to push his reverse discrimination agenda, and uh, we see some folks agreeing with him, and while others don't. Nearby, a group of, here we go, Dragon Fang, they're back, Dragon Fang gang members do a drive-by shooting, killing at least five people on this nice little you know, suburban street. And uh, a lot of innocent bystanders are killed, including a baby. It's very sad. About the same time, we finally get a look at our blue slimy muck monster as he climbs out of the sewer. And he is massive and dripping and icky. And uh, he proceeds to then battle the Dragon Fang gang members. And we learn that the monster is actually intelligent, but is struggling to find the right words in his thoughts and his speech. In the bottle, in, in the bottle, in the battle, the monster is severely injured, and then we discover the monster can bleed, and yet he can heal himself from very mortal wounds very quickly as he's gunned down and then gets back up. When the monster recovers, he quickly dispatches the dragon fang members gruesomely, and then we can discover he can also cause. Ex- this is kind of weird. He can cause extreme skin growth with his hands, with his touch. So, like for example, this guy's got. He grabs this guy's two hands, and he he makes the skin grow and fuses those two hands together. He grabs another dude by the face and causes extreme skin growth there, and the folds of skin actually grow on the face, covering the mouth and nose, and the guy suffocates to death. It's pretty gruesome. So after all the Dragon Fang members are dead, the monster collects a briefcase full of money from the dead gang members, and then we're treated to a series of flashbacks as the monster remembers where he uh, where he comes from and how he got this way. Turns out that he is, in fact, that missing police officer, uh, Detective Sergeant Frank Hogue. We find out that Detective Hogue was a dirty cop. He was taking bribes from organized crime to look the other way and to tip off crooks to police investigations. When mob boss John Paul Marcello wants Hogue to murder a fellow dirty cop, Hogue says, no way. He refuses to kill anyone and says he won't keep quiet if they murder this this other cop. So what's the mob do? They shoot Hogue. They shoot him a lot. And he stumbles away, and he ends up uh, getting covered in some sort of industrial chemicals. Then they shoot him a lot more. And as far as you're concerned, he should be dead at that point because he's literally got dozens of holes in him. And they finally dump uh, they, they dump Hogue's body in the sewer. Which, uh, against all odds, he somehow survives and mutates into the giant blue muck monster we've been following all this time. The flashback ends, and we're back at the scene where he's just defeated the Dragon Fang, me- Fang members, and he's got that briefcase full of cash. We're treated to more of the right-wing commentary from that radio talk show host saying that there's no such thing as altruism. Meanwhile, Sludge then gives the briefcase full of money to some homeless people. And it's the homeless guys who actually refer to this muck monster as Sludge. And that is where the story ends. I loved this book. What did you think? I liked it okay. Um, wow, really? You, the, the, uh, the radio guy really turned me off. It was so... Um 
so blatant. You know what I mean? I know Gerber. I, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Gerber's politics. Yeah. And uh, and his and, and his points of view, and generally stuff's a bit more satirical. Um, but uh, yeah, th- that was the only thing that kind of bumped me in the, in the entire thing. But I did find it fascinating that even the Dragon Fang listens to this guy on the radio. Really, everybody, everybody, everybody loves jazz, and <laughs> everybody listens to this. To, to the, uh, what was his name again? Uh, Chase Naylor. Yeah, everybody listens to Chase. Well, just like Chase, Rush, right? Rush. Chase? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, keep um, in mind, I am going to interject there. This is the era where this sort of news radio stuff was still kind of new. I mean, Rush. True. I mean, we take it for granted now. But Rush Limbaugh, I mean, I want to say it was the early 90s when he first came into dominance. Yeah, well, yeah, radio was still a thing. <laughs> it still is now, but it's called podcasts. Anyway. <laughs> it's us! They're check- yeah, I think he still makes a little more money than we do at this. Uh, last time I checked, we're not making any money. In fact, this, this podcast is costing us money. <laughs> well, the Marvel deal hasn't... I know we, we've been... We, we haven't been open about it. Well, we can't, we're not that. supposed to talk about it because right. You know, right now DC is evaluating how much our podcast is worth, and then Marvel's got seven days to, you know. Dan, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I liked it. I, I love the art. I'm, I'm a big Lepresti fan. You know, I love Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Man Thing, I'm a little lukewarm on. But, <sighs> but I love the Swamp you're, Thing. You're broken inside. Am I? Yeah. Yeah, you are. Okay, I, I, give me one good uh, Man-Thing story. Just name one. Well, the obvious answer would be giant-sized Man-Thing, which is... What happens just, in that story? I don't know, but it's really fun to say. Okay. Um, no, there's some amazing Man-Thing stories. The first couple Man-Thing stories are so good. Um, then there's, like, this one with the, the suicidal clown that is just like, oh, oh dude, like, pick up, pick up the essential... The Kevin Nolan one's nice. Pick up Essential Man-Thing number one. The, the volume, it's black and white. What you is get- your Essential Man-Thing? You're not touching my essential man thing. Anyway, Ugh. only my wife touches my essential man thing. Anyway, so um, you can you can pick it up off like in. But she cries when she dies. Shut up. You can pick it off in stock trades for like ten bucks, dude. It is so. We're not that podcast. I, I'm not promoting in stock trades. <laughs> InStockTrades.com. No, I I'm just saying. Go pick up Man Thing, the, the the essential number one. It's it's well worth it. It's in black and white. It as it, and Man Thing reads better in black and white. And Steve Gerber is famous. I mean, one of the things he's famous for is his thirty nine issue run on Man Thing. It's a cult classic favorite. In fact, Neil Gaiman cites it as one of his influences. Sledge I liked. It wasn't my favorite. Okay, but uh, but I, I did like it. Yeah, I mean it, a lot. It, a lot happens very quickly. I, I did think it was weird, though, that the um, – so the mafia wants Hogue to kill a fellow cop for him, yep. and he refuses. And the reason they wanted him to kill the other cop was so it wouldn't um, implicate them into it, into the murder. But they just then murder Hogue. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, well, you could have done – Along those same lines, Hogue refuses – to murder a cop. He, he refuses <laughs> to kill anybody. And the minute he becomes sludge, he just starts wasting people left and right. So I mean, there's, well, his his head's not right. There's, so I there's can some double that. standards there. <laughs> I can, I can forgive that. His head's a little out of out of whack. So he's no longer Hogue, as you know him. You know what I mean? Right. But the mafia guys don't want to kill a cop, so they kill a cop for not killing a cop. Well, I think they don't want to kill that particular cop. Like for some reason, if they kill that cop, they maybe they can get fingered for it. But here, sure. they okay. kill this cop and they'll get away with it. Man, I want a sludge action figure now. Damn, he he's on the he's on on the on the cartoon, isn't he? 
I, you know, I think he is, but I need to go back and I, I've only seen a couple episodes of Ultraverse or Ultra Force cartoon. It's a little tough to get through, um, but I, I, I plan to watch more. And Sludge, I, I, I would say stick with Sludge only because Sludge just goes on to fight who, Shag? I don't know. A certain Lord Pumpkin. Does he really? I think so, right? I, well, I know Mantra. Am I remembering does, that wrong? But you might. I don't know. I mean, dude, this is this Sludge book for this podcast. First time I've ever read it. And I, I am in love with it now. I've read I've only read the first two issues now. And by the way, that dirty cop that he wouldn't kill, yeah, that comes back to bite him in the ass. Um, so uh, let me see what else here. There, I got a lot to talk about this book. So, well, I guess I've already said a lot of it. But anyway, absolutely love this book. Love the art. Aaron Lopresti's art is amazing. And this is some of his first published work. It's so good. It's so much fun. Sludge is such a cool, interesting-looking character. Uh, yes, obviously, Steve Gerber pulled heavily from his man-thing work to do this book. No doubt about that. <laughs> pulled his man-thing. <laughs> you shut up. God. What are you, 12? Anyway. Yeah. This, this, this normally I'm the one who's got the crude humor. And, you know, there's a great scene where Sludge kills one of the Dragon Fan members, and it's totally like the Bane scene where Bane breaks Batman's back. You know, that Jim Aparo scene where it's like, that's, I mean, that that happens right there. That's well, that's well worth it. So, um, I got to tell you, like again, first time I've read it, absolutely love this book. Um, I back then I don't know that I had an appreciation for Muck Monsters back in '93. I don't know. Now you I, love them. I don't know if I would have loved it at the time. Now I do because I've read a lot of Man Thing. I've read a lot of Swamp Thing, and I, I get that whole sort of genre now. And this is this is. Great. Great stuff. Sludge. 25 pages of story. Judging by issue number one, would you come back? Yes. Great title, by the way. I would have to say this, um, in terms of character names, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So I would obviously definitely come back for this one. All right. So our final book. Yep. It's another easy one. <laughs> Solitaire. I'm not going to go into it because I think it would, it would make much more sense for you guys to go on and listen to the Wrath of Aladdin podcast. Uh, episode one, uh, hosted by Kane Dor, uh, he goes he dissects this book far in far greater detail than Shag and I are going to are going to do right now. But uh, in very broad strokes, uh, this is written by uh, by Gerard Jones with art by Jeff Johnson, who pencils and uh, who pencils the interior as well as the cover. And um, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's inked by Barb Carlberg. Uh, really. Briefly, Solitaire is about a one-man's war against what turns out to be his father and his criminal empire. Um, Solitaire is Anton Lone, A. Lone. I love it. <laughs> um, you love and, that joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he takes on this guy called the King in the book, and the King is a uh, is is like Bacchus, but uh, just total debauchery. Um, Human slavery, human trafficking. Solitaire takes on the king and his men, and the king's men, um, makes quick work of them, and we discover that Solitaire has nanites. I believe he calls them nanites, right? Or is that – he's got – I can't, I can't remember if he actually says that or not. But I mean, that's I, what they you, are. You get the sense that that's what it is, yeah. Right. The mystery behind Solitaire is why he would it, – it turns out that he was probably set up to die in an accident that wasn't really an accident. Um, but uh, his father wouldn't let him die. Uh, he was a pretty solitaire, probably walked on the other side of the law before um, before his accident came back, decided to, to, to fight on the side of right and uh, has an army of all-female um, 
agents similar to, to what the shadow has. And that's kind of I'm really broad strokes what happens in issue one. He has a motorcycle. Uh, he's, he's an expert hand-to-hand combatant. And he is just very cool. And this is one of the most beautiful books <laughs> Malibu has. Um, I can't say enough good things about Jeff Johnson. If, if you're a fan of, of his work, you can check him out. Uh, he did Way of the Rat for CrossGen. Look for the CrossGen podcast coming up after we're, we wrap the Malibu podcast. Oh, whatever. And uh, uh, he's done some Green Green Lantern work, and I think the primarily makes his makes his makes his hay in animation these days. Mm. But uh, I I loved it. I hope I'm not being too vague. But I, again, I, I really urge you guys to check out the Wrath of Atlanta podcast where. This is this is discussed at, at great length. It's uh it's the first time I've read this book was again for this podcast. Hadn't read this one before either. And man, I'm kicking myself because this was another great book. It's I, great. I'm the costumes all, wonky, a little weird. You don't like it? <laughs> I don't like the colors. The purple and dark blue. Purple's a big color in the Ultraverse. What's wrong with purple? Mm, What's wrong with purple? I I don't like Grimace from I don't trust him. Oh my gosh! Why is he over thirty? <laughs> I don't know what his hands are doing. He used to have four hands. Now he only has two. Oh my gosh! But I I love like the logo with the the knife as part of the S for solitary. Yes. And I I like the purple. I think I, you know I'm strong enough in my own. I'm confident enough in my own sexuality to like purple. I don't know that what your problem is. Okay, whatever. And again, Jeff Johnson's art is stunning. He's got such clean lines, realistic figures. It's refreshing, even by today's standards. I mean, it's. I read this book and I was like, wow, I feel like I just took a de- deep breath of you know cool, crisp air. It was like, wow, this is good. Oh, it's... it's And no, no slight to Gerard Jones, but I mean, the big standout of this book is definitely the art. I mean, the story is interesting, and it leaves you... It leaves you... It leaves you hanging. Leaves you probably... Left, left me wanting to know what was going to happen. And I, I certainly appreciate that it's got it's a guy with a mission. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, this can have I, well, it, it does have a finite number of issues, but it certainly could have. Um, it could, have, could a, have intended to have been <laughs> right, right. right. It could have intended to have an endpoint. Um, but uh, oh, it's so it's such a pretty book. Well, I would say I, Gerard Jones has really built a really nice story around it too, though. Like King Pleasure, dude, friggin' creeps. Me out. Like, I wanted to take a shower after reading some of those scenes. I just, I felt so filthy. And, 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 and I understand. I mean, you hadn't even read it yet. Well, no. I mean, when I, when I, as I was reading, I was just like, ugh. The stuff with the human trafficking, you know, when he would talk about the hurts and the feel goods and the sex slaves. Uh, it, was, it was really, really, really disturbing. But, like, in a way, like, 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 what's, what am I trying to say? George Jones knew what he was doing. He, he was writing it to be disturbing. So it right. was very, it was very effective, and right, sure. uh, it just. Ugh. I liked the way that Solitaire followed the trail of the vehicle, like he was following the, you mm-hmm. know, purposely shot the gas tank and followed the gas and all that. That was really cool. I thought the art Smart. and the caption boxes really sort of informed how he was tracking the van as it sort of revealed it in stages rather than just a big info dump. It was a very nice constructed scene. I thought that was done well. This is a nice sort of, um, I'd say, companion book to Firearm in that it's it's. I mean, with the exception of of, uh, of solitaire's enhancements mm-hmm. or enhancement, um, it could easily just be that that kind of character, you know, that kind of hero. I think it's more. He's more of a nightman. Okay. Uh, well. Okay. They both maybe. have an ability that's not an obvious offensive ability. They, you know, they they're self-made combatants. 
they they are honing their skills now. Nightman's very much like a, a junior member of that league, and so- Solitaire comes in the story already, sort of a boss. You know, he's already kind yeah, of Batman. Oh, he's already he's already sort of Batman level. He's yeah, it's a great it's a great book. And Jones, as you said, Jones to his credit creates a villain that's a throwaway villain, really, um, and really really makes you hate him. Oh yes, <laughs> I wanted that guy to die. Really badly. <laughs> um, it, it bears noting that this is the one of the first. Of, I think it's the first six covers of Solitaire make up the first page of the sixth issue. I think that's what sense. I heard as well. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I this this is actually the, the only number two issue I have held back from reading so far. It's like I'm, I'm saving it sort of like a treat. Like when I'm when I'm like, well, I feel like I've earned it <laughs> when I'm going to read number two because it's so number one was so good. You don't have long. Shag. <laughs> Meaning I'm going to die from old age, or there's yeah. so many Ultraverse comics to read? Um, either. Oh, thanks. Okay. 25 pages of story, judging it by issue number one itself. You know I'm coming back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredi- this just, you know what? This just makes me so sad. <laughs> this is all past tense. I know. You know what I mean? That's what I was talking about. How, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned how I get angry that the Ultraverse is locked away, and you yeah. can't do anything with it, because there was so much potential here. You know, uh, uh, Gerard Jones, Jeff Johnson, please do something else. Uh, if you want to do, I don't know, um, gin an, or gin rummy as a book. Yeah, <laughs> Jenny rummy. I don't know. Just come back. Do a book like this, please. All right, Just please. You know, we're, we're doing it again. We've already gone long. You know, the, yeah. We're 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 past an hour already. That was not our intention, folks. Have we first- even have we covered less fewer books. <laughs> Time than we did last time. Well, we had the big intro. We had to talk about what the Ultraverse was last time. So, yeah. all right, what we're going to do real quick is we're going to uh, very quickly we're going to blow through um, some of the feedback we got. We got a lot of support from you folks for the first episode, and we really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. We're just going to I, I just grabbed some of the names I saw on the interwebs. Uh, I didn't. I, I know I'm going to miss some people. Do not take it personally if I don't say your name. Uh, just know that I grabbed some of the stuff here and just want to give shout-outs to some of the folks who helped support us, and we will continue to give feedback in future episodes as well. So uh, thanks to real quickly to Lucas Garrett, Gene Hendricks, Sean McLaughlin, and Christopher J. Warden. They all gave us uh, shout-outs and helped support the podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, Michael Wagner wrote in and said, Fantastic first episode, Stay Ultra! I like how he tried to coin a phrase, Stay Ultra! <laughs> Jump on, my friend. Exactly. Also wanted to give a thanks to um, Stephen Lacey and uh, Michael Leyland over at the Fantasticast. They had me on their show recently to help cover some Fantastic Four issues, and they gave some really nice plugs for the Ultraverse Network. So thank yeah, you for Steve, that, guys. Yeah, thank you, Stephen Lacey. I have to say, he's been just super nice and above and beyond, really, about plugging this and, and offered to uh, to run promos, and we didn't even have them. <laughs> so Wait, Stephen was- Lacey, really nice. So you've never actually spoken to him, have you? I don't know. Um, oh. I don't know anyone from England. <laughs> All right. Except for Alex Swan. Right. Um, Edward, Edward Moore Jr. wrote in and said, excellent job, gentlemen. And we could leave it at that. But he also said, I've been missing <laughs> 80s and 90s comics more every month with what is currently being offered, particularly by the Big Two. A podcast about Malibu's Ultraverse is an excellent addition to the plethora. How many? A plethora of comic book podcasts running... Currently, and certainly fills a niche that was empty up to this point. Thanks for this new network, and keep up the great work. Awesome. Well, thank you, Edward. Uh, we heard from El, Al Sedano. Sedano? Sedano? He said, first episode was great. Remember, remembered what I loved about this universe and a Power Pack reference? Awesome. 
I did make a Power Pack reference when I talked about Louise uh, Simonson, didn't I, last episode? Wheezy. Wheezy. Oh, I, love, I love that lady. Okay, <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Brown. I really enjoyed this all-new number one episode. A great way to start off a podcast. Uh, smiley face. Jeff's an active member over on the uh, Ultraverse Facebook group, too. Also, Jeff, there's only one way to start off a podcast, and that's with a number one episode. So, <laughs> No, we could have started with a number zero or something. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I heard from John Yarborough II. He made a good point about how long the episode was. Again, another little bit of a long one. They won't be this long in the future, guys, really. Uh, an hour and 43 minutes last time. I'm thinking this one's probably going to clock about 120. We'll see. Anyway, he said 143, well spent. Thanks, guys. Really cool. Looking forward to episode number two. Well, there you go. Pat Hughes. Just finished listening to the first podcast. Wow, that's long. <laughs> Thank you. We got the point. <laughs> um, he was referring to the giant size man thing. Very entertaining, guys. You did well. I'm in it till the end or until my Marvel buys you out, whatever comes first. We'll see. We'll see, Pat Hughes. Right. Uh, heard from our buddy Robert McGinty. Uh, he's one of the admins over on the Facebook uh, group as well. He says, good stuff. Before I forget, let me address a couple things that you were wondering about from last episode. Pogs? Yes, there were pogs. Uh, Prime Watch? Yep, they made a Prime Watch. That's your cue. Yep, again. No, you're supposed to say, what's the Prime? What's Oh, what, what Prime is it? All right, there it is. Uh, and then it, he said, toy variants? Yep, again. And he said, when David went down that list of some of the creators who worked on the Ultraverse, wow, that was a hell of a list. So, And by the way, Robert gave us links to all the different things. Yeah, Robert runs a great blog, uh, an Ultraverse blog. You can find a link over on our website, uh, ultraversepodcast.com. And you can find a link to his site where he has been documenting the Ultraverse for years and have really has built up a really astonishing yeah. uh, collection of stuff. Robert McGinty's site will make you poor. <laughs> um, Diablo Diablo Frank um, writes in says, "Well, Shag, well, I, less, I guess he likes Shag. You've got me listening to an Ultraverse podcast. I hope you're proud of yourself, <laughs> folks. Just so you know, Diablo Frank uh, is is a buddy of mine who writes in frequently to our Fire and Water podcast that I do as well, and he's um, he's." Well, I'll, he's off his meds. Let's just put it that way, folks. He's nuts. He's an absolute nut job. And his commentary is legendary. And as when we were looking at this, my buddy David here said to me, he said that uh, Frank's commentary about last episode about it is, has as many words as the Ultraverse books had, I think. so. It is a long one. This is, uh, this is Strangers 1 dense. Um, <laughs> So just quickly, some highlights from his uh, from his tome. Uh, by the time, um, as he thanked Shag, of course, uh, by the time Malibu took their image royalties and founded the Ultraverse, I was gun shy. The association with image alone tainted the line for me. I bought most of the first issues, but didn't give the titles any more rope than that. Ultraverse was a writer's universe, so they needed more time to unfurl than I gave them. Also, the bloom was off the rose for most of those guys, which distracted from the vital writers in the stable. I appreciate that the creators had more of a stake at Ultraverse, but at the same time, saw it as a half measure, and the stake was ultimately driven through the heart of these properties in perpetuity. I don't think Disney yet knows what the end, end game of this failed experiment will be. Rights, reversions, buyouts. I do have sympathy for the fans, though, who lived to see an Atlas Seaboard revival, but Ultraverse will, lightly, will likely elude them forevermore. Oh. Um, yeah, ultra, uh, there were a, a handful of Atlas titles that came out recently, but I don't think they extend. They lasted more than four issues. That's me saying that. That's uh, back to the uh, Frank letter here. Uh, you reminded me that I gave Techno Comics more of a try than Ultraverse. Well done, Frank. <laughs> I think um, to continue. I think I went nine issues deep into Mister Hero thanks to the checks 
Neil Gaiman cashed. I had six plus of Mike Danger, probably the best of that sorry lot. Um, Frank's a big comics fan, I could see. Uh, well, ta- didn't you s- Frank managed a comic shop in the 90s like I did. And so uh, we, we were around for all this stuff. Techno Comics gets a bad rap. They had some pretty interesting stuff. Um, Primordials, really? Well, anyway, okay. <laughs> Talk to Alan. Talk to the professor. He'll, All right. He'll set you straight. Uh, back to Frank's uh, letter here, uh, or email. Uh, suffice to say, I'm on board of this podcast for the education and the personalities. <laughs> David and Shag's voices are distinct and complimentary and make for a very lively pair. You both seem knowledgeable with a good chemistry. Use guys on iTunes. Yes, we are. Please leave us a review. Um, and he finally, he finally closes with any podcast that opens... Their first ever show with Courtney Love deserves at least a moment's consideration for Huevos alone. I don't really think you put enough effort into uncovering a Billboard 100 single that had the word Ultraverse in the lyrics, though. <laughs> You're right, Frank. We, Yeah, we dropped the ball on that. Yeah, we should have looked harder for a song that had the word Ultraverse in it. You're right. Yes, that is a Courtney Love song that kicks off the podcast. When, when my good friend here, David, suggested it to me, I said, what? Courtney Love, no thanks, pass. And I, I, I really, seriously did. And then I heard the, the segment. I'm like, that's it? That's our theme song. It absolutely is. So there we yeah, go. Yeah, Celebrity Skin was a big album for her. So, um, heard from our buddy Michael Bradley. He hosts the Parallel Lines podcast, which is about DC's Tangent Line, one of my favorite podcasts. I love that show. And it's also, a good show. It really is. And it's such a crazy niche thing. I mean, it it makes our show look broad um, and expansive, <laughs> covering just tangent. <laughs> anyway. Um, and he also does the Superman Batman podcast. So anyway, Michael Bradley wrote us. Uh, I'm just going to pick out a couple of highlights of what he wrote. He said, I just finished listening to the first episode of the Ultraverse podcast, and I wanted to write in. I thought in the past that um, I'd missed the boat for the Ultraverse. The line debuted at the exact time I was getting into comics. Much like a kid in the candy store, everything looked amazing in those first few years. Unfortunately, I was still in high school at the time and just didn't have the funds to buy many books. By the time I was older and able to afford a wider selection of books, the comics bubble had burst. The Ultraverse was no more and that was that. Had Ultraverse debuted four or five years later, they likely would have had me hooked. Line and sinker. Uh, he goes on to say, he said, all he really read of the Ultraverse was a number of issues of Freaks, and since then, a handful of other random issues he's come across. With the show and the blog re-sparking my interest in the line, I pulled out the Freaks issues and will give them a reread soon. I also just snagged a near-complete run of Firearm on eBay for relatively cheap. I heard a number of people speak highly of that, so I look forward to checking it out uh, myself alongside to revisit the world of Freaks. I'll probably be on the hunt for other books as well, Just and that's how the, <laughs> and that's how these things go. Yeah, they totally, they always expand on you. That's how I ended up with all these friggin' action figures. Um, I thought it was Free X. Free X, is right. Because uh, I might have missed the boat when the books were being published, but I'm strapped in this time around and look forward to the ride. Good luck with the blog and the shows. You've got a listener. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael. Michael, I just want to add, if, um, if, if you're completist with the firearm thing, don't forget to get the codename Firearm miniseries because that has the swan backups. Um, yeah, I just want to add that. You know, I uh, you know who Michael Bailey is uh, from Views in the Long Box. Michael Bailey, Multiplex, the Multiplex of podcasting, because <laughs> he's able to be on so many shows. Not to be confused with Michael Bradley; those are two different individuals, by the way. Right, anyway, right. That's Bailey. like a, the Dermot Moroni. What is it, Dermot Moroni and Dylan McDermott of, <laughs> of the comics <laughs> podcasting world? Well, I uh, I got to see Michael B- Bailey recently for work. I was in Atlanta. And so I stopped by and had dinner with him and his wife. And uh, But I went to this comic shop, and they had a really great deal on back issues. So I picked up uh, – he, he has – he's 
really hasn't read much of the Ultraverse. And so I picked up a huge stack of like 1 through 18 for Prime and just put it in his hands. I said, read it, along with, uh, I think, the first three issues of Firearm and the first couple issues of Freaks. So hopefully we'll have him converted uh, in no time. So, so then that means he'll be starting a, a, com- a competing Ultraverse podcast. Yeah, he probably will. <laughs> he does it on his own, right? Yeah. He's, all, he's kind of a solo guy for the most part. Hey. I tell you what, if, if if he or anyone else wants to start uh, a podcast, you know, get in touch with us. You know, maybe who knows? Maybe you'll be the next star of the Ultraverse Network. Or maybe you know, I would love to see uh, the uh, Mister Moneybags on on the show when one of these days, talking about um, whoever the Aquaman counterpart of the Ultraverse is. And the Aquaman counterpart in the Ultraverse would be nobody. No they knew better. There's no water characters. They knew better. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you. so so much for listening to this episode of the Ultraverse Podcast, Prime of Your Life. Uh, you can find us at, again, our website's ultraversepodcast.com. Please hit us up on iTunes for a review. That's the Ultraverse Network. Uh, what's our what's our email address, buddy? Why don't you tell the folks at home? Ultraversepodcast at gmail.com. Yep. You can also find us on Twitter. We are we go by Ultraverse Net. Um, partially to make it shorter, partially because they won't take that many characters. So, Ultraverse Net on Twitter, and you can also find us on Google Plus under Ultraverse Network. Thanks a lot for writing in, guys. Especially yeah. over after one episode. I know that was great, and and that's just some of the feedback, you know. So I didn't want to most of it negative. Right. I I totally deleted all the ones that said, "What are you people doing? You're crazy." You know, all these valiant people writing in with their hate mail and everything. <laughs> All right, uh, we we need it. We need an outro line. You know, uh, stay ultra. Is that what we're doing for? Now? I thought we were doing that. Is that what we're doing? Okay. Yeah. Right. Are we the prime of our, you're going to sing. You got to sing the song. This time. I'm not singing the song. All right. Um, thank thank you for listening. Yes. And uh, this is the prime of our lives. Bye.